Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how the church is God's. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know that this sermon that you're about to hear was preached three years ago. The reason we're sharing it again now is that it was foundational to all that we have become as a church. And as we prepare to gather together again, we think it's really important that people remember exactly why we exist as a church and what we're trying to accomplish. You know, a lot's changed in the world in the last couple of months, but there are unchangeable truths about what the church is and about what the church is supposed to do written down for us in scripture. This sermon contains some of those truths, and so we thought it was really important for us to share it again. I hope it will be as foundational to our regathering as it has been to our church over the last few years. One more quick note before I let you get to the sermon, and that is that this sermon was filmed on location at a church that I have been a part of. Obviously, you won't be able to see that because you're listening. So if you want to watch, make sure you head over to our YouTube channel, which is called Creekside Tube. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Why does church exist? What is its purpose? Is it to offer a bunch of rules, an excuse to have coffee with friends? Ephesians describes church as the body of Jesus. Christians are a part of it. The goal is that all the parts will be built up and work together in order to positively impact people's lives for the glory of God. This happens by expressing the love of Jesus to our communities and the world, by telling the story of how he died and rose again. All this happens for him because the church is his. One of the things that you'll notice in this series is that we're going to change locations. And as I considered recording our sermons in this series, it was like, well, where are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And as I kind of looked at the uh, the series and thought about what I wanted it to be, it was obvious to me that one of the coolest things we could do was to actually film these sermons at different churches that I've been a part of. And I think this is going to be a cool thing because as I look back on my experience with church and in church and being a part of church, I think that what we'll see in the series, in the book of Ephesians where we'll be looking, is that there is a contradiction sometimes between my experiences in church and what the Bible says about church. But not only that, sometimes what we see in Ephesians about what church ought to be lines up beautifully with what I've experienced in church. And all of us have church experiences. Some of those church experiences are good. Some are bad. For some of you, your church experience might just be knowing somebody who goes to church or who has gone to church, somebody that calls themselves a Christian. And you have, through those people, a, a view of church, a, a lens that you see church through. You have a, a church of experience of sorts. And in Ephesians, we see this letter written by Paul that just places such enormous value and worth on what church is and really shows an incredible view of how we ought to see church, but even more 
how we ought to do church, and I would add, and you'll see this throughout the series, uh, why we ought to do church. The church that I'm standing at today is Dayspring Fellowship in Kaiser, Oregon, where I grew up. And uh, Dayspring is actually the church that I attended for the longest period of time in my life, except for Creekside, our church here. Uh, Dayspring started in 1992, and we actually left a, a church in Salem called First Baptist to be a part of the church planting group here at Dayspring. We met in a little school for a long time and uh, and then eventually purchased this property as a church and we met in this gym that's over here on my right and eventually about the time that I was uh, leaving Dayspring, uh, this sanctuary here was built. And uh, this church, is a church that had a profound impact on my life. If you've been around at all, if you've ever been around for a Palm Sunday, you, you've heard me talk about how my my memories of Palm Sunday as a kid are hitting beach balls in the air. That happened right in that gym right there. Uh, but beyond just kind of these you know, unique memories that we all have of church if we've been a part of church, Dayspring was an important part of my life. and. On one of the hardest days of my life, I called the pastor of this church. I was just a kid. I called the pastor of this church and he was in the offices that are behind the camera and he prayed with me over the phone and uh, God helped me through that hard day. And part of the way that he helped me was simply through that prayer that Pastor Bruce Porter prayed with me. I've told you guys that as a kid, in, in different ways, I experienced the presence of God in church. And uh, I've talked about how one of those ways was communion and my attitude towards communion, my heart when I took communion, and how when we would take communion in church, I would go in my head, like, it seems like we're not taking this seriously enough. It seems like we're just getting through this. It seems like I shouldn't be more excited to have a little bit of grape juice as a 10 year old kid than, than to, to celebrate what this really means. And I didn't even know all that it really meant. I was a Christian, but, but my knowledge of what we did in communion was very limited. Um, but that was a profound experience for me as God worked in me and said, look, you need to take this more seriously. And, and I experienced God right here in this building. And then another memory, another way that I was impacted is that we had a guy come in once uh, and there was no sermon and he did these skits and he was a, a comedian actor guy and he did these skits that represented the ways that we view God. And I don't remember exactly all that that he did in those skits, the different characters that he played. But I, I remember two of them and one was a, a, a cowboy. And he said, some people view God as like this cowboy that's just trying to run around, shooting people down and acting tough and being a jerk when they need to be a jerk and all these things. And he said, God's not like that. And then he did this, this fatherly character. And he said, look, when you view God, you need to view God like a great dad and you guys have heard me if you've if you're a part of our church you've heard me use that language in my sermons and 
It was in part because this church brought in that guy to do those skits. And as a high school kid, maybe at that time, I was impacted. And I've always tried to view God as a good dad ever since then. And in my prayers, when I pray, I, I want to see God as a, a loving father, as he is described in the Bible and as that actor comedian guy uh, demonstrated to me years ago. And so this church had profound impact on me. It was cool to be here from a, a, an elementary school uh, to this gym, to this big building over here. And my life was touched. But as I look back on my experience at Dayspring Fellowship, if I could characterize my involvement here, it would be one of selfishness. Growing up, being a nine-year-old through about a 17-year-old at this church, I was a child. And as children, we are, you know this, we are often selfish. And I think about the things that stand out from my involvement here, not what the church did, but the way I approached church. And, and so much of it was self-driven and probably the first experience it's not a great illustration but but the first experience that that kind of dictates how i i just saw church as something that existed for me was actually at the very beginning when we were meeting in an elementary school we voted on what to call this little thing that we had in the bulletin that could rip out and you could turn it in like our information cards that are in the blue bins in front of you or uh, in the chair uh, below you, under the chair, under your chair. Um, and we voted on the names and I liked the name Zipstrip. And I think about it now and, and Zipstrip won the vote, which I was very thankful for. But I think I would have been genuinely upset as a little kid if Zipstrip had lost out to some other dumb name. And that's not the best illustration because the other illustrations, I think, demonstrate how my approach to church was selfish better. And uh, this one's also a little goofy, but uh, one of the things that actually stands out most about this building behind me is that when we first started meeting here, there was uh, Dunkin' Donuts donut holes every Sunday. I'm sorry that we don't have that here at Creekside because that was... That was one of the great joys of my life as a kid, coming to church and getting donut holes. And I don't know if this was my dad's rule or if this was, I think that it was, there was actually a church sign and it said, only take two of each kind of donut hole because there was chocolate and glazed and powdered donuts. And uh, so I would fill a styrofoam cup with chocolate donuts because those are the ones I wanted, clearly breaking the two chocolate donut rule. And then I would put on top of the styrofoam cup like two of another kind so that it didn't look like I was stealing all the chocolate donuts. Um, another memory is that uh, I was not really a part of the youth ministry here um, and I, I went to the youth group one time and I was frankly appalled by the behavior of the students uh, that one day and my response was to leave that youth group 
and to never go back. I went one time and that was it. I was never part of the youth ministry at all because because I didn't like the attitude of the kids. And I think about that now, how ridiculous is that, that, that instead of saying, maybe I could bring something good to this youth group, I said, well, it's not something I appreciated, so I'll no longer be a part of it. And perhaps uh, most clearly illustrating that my involvement here was selfish is that what I remember about church and, and my post-church experience just about every Sunday when I was at this church is simply grading, judging, talking about how good or bad a sermon was in the music. I leave here and especially as I got older, you know, don't know really any difference when you're 9, 10, 11, but I was 14, 15, 16 years old. I'd walk out of this place and my biggest question was not should my life be changed in any way because of that sermon? Uh, did I do a good job of, of uh, infusing love into the service and, and worshiping Jesus? Did I show other people that we were glad they're there? I would walk out and, and really, and this is sad to me now, but I, I would say, did I like the sermon? Yeah, it was a good one today. Good series of sermons, uh, good stories, whatever that the pastor used today. And, and was the music good? Did I like the songs? Did they hit the notes? Did we have the right musicians? And I think that my attitude here at Dayspring is reflective of the attitude of far too many American Christians in our culture today. I want you to think about, just for a second, your church experiences. And I want you to think about if you've treated your church involvement, your life in church, as if the church existed for you. I think that most people, at least to some degree, look at church as something that exists almost solely for their benefit. Even those of us who serve the church oftentimes fall into the trap of acting like the church exists for us. I think it's one of the reasons that people leave a church so quickly. They look at the church and they say, well, that church isn't meeting my need. They're like me with the youth ministry many years ago. I have a problem with those people and the way they acted. And so I am out of here. Or, or people look at a church and, and they say, well, they are not giving me what I need. And so I'll go to the church down the road. Or I don't think those sermons are good anymore. And, and they judge the sermon and then they, they head off to the next church to find the better sermon or the better music or whatever. And uh, what we see in Ephesians is the church doesn't exist for us. And the first sermon, the first passage that we're gonna look at, the first sermon that I'm gonna give, the first thing that I want to see in Ephesians about church is really what this series is all about. And that's this, the church is not yours, it's his. The church is not yours, it is, it is God's. It is God's and it has been given to Jesus. And I would just begin by saying, if that is true, then we should not approach church as if 
it is ours. In Ephesians 1.21, this is what we read, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. This is referring to Jesus. And we picture sometimes Jesus is only a man who lived a couple of thousand years ago. And we think that this Jesus was this passive person who walked around and did miracles when people needed them, but really wasn't authoritative at all. And here in Ephesians, Paul, the apostle says, look, here's something you need to know. Jesus sits as the head of everything because God has appointed him as ruler of all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 27, it says, For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Now the question becomes, what things are under Jesus? I mean, what things does he have power and authority over? And, and all obviously means all, but what does Paul actually have in mind? And there's a few things that I think we need to have in our heads as we consider what it means for all things to be under the feet of Jesus. And, and the first is all elements. I mean, Jesus has power and authority over all nature. He has power and authority over the wind and the storms and the rain and the sunshine. He has authority over all of it. Jesus also has authority over all earthly kings and kingdoms and nations and powers. Jesus is over and above. He is the ruler of all those who are in authority. Jesus is also over all angels in heaven. He is over all spiritual forces. In fact, not just the good spiritual forces like angels, but also the demonic forces, fallen angels who have rejected and turned away from God. We ought not see Jesus as this man who used to live, who was passive, who did everything that everybody wanted. We ought to see Jesus as a man who did live, did miracles, died for our sins, rose again, ascended into heaven, and now rules and reigns over all. And in the next verse, we see why. For the church, Ephesians 1.21, for the church. This phrase means for the benefit of the church. Now that is some weighty, weighty, powerful, profound, language. God has appointed Jesus to be head of everything, to have authority over all for, for this thing that we call church, for the benefit of church. Now let me be clear, I've already tipped my hat in this sermon and said, hey, the church doesn't exist for you, it exists for him, for Jesus. But let's be clear, there are about a million benefits of being a part of a church. And we are going to talk about some of those benefits over the next five weeks of sermons. We're gonna see how valuable and important the church can be for our lives. And I've already said that this church behind me has had a profound impact on me. And as we look at other churches that I've 
been a part of, other churches that I've been connected to, we are going to see more how the church has impacted me. And I, I just stand before you, at least on camera. And I say to you today that the church has been the most important organization in my life. If you've been a part of church for a long time, you've been a part of a good church, even for a short time, you know that it's been a place that is spiritually invested in you and, and it has given you resources perhaps when you've needed resources and, and a place where you have found the, the best friends, friends that go beyond the superficial and, and have deep, profound spiritual impact on your lives. I mean, the benefits that the church has had on my life, I can't even express to you. It, it would take a very long time. And Jesus sits as the head of all so that the church can be benefited. And if you are part of the church, you reap those benefits. And in Ephesians 1.22, Paul continues and he says, which is his body. Now, in Ephesians, Paul uses different metaphors to really show what the church is, what the church does, how we ought to live out our church experience. It shows different metaphors really to say, look, hey, the church is not yours. The church is his. And the body one we are going to talk about in full in just a few weeks. And so I, I want to return to it later. And I just want to say this for now. The church was designed to help people. It was designed to help people inside and outside of it. But really, in Ephesians 1.22, the most important thing that I want you to hear today is not the word body, but that other word, his. The church is his. And as Paul writes this letter to a church in Ephesians, excuse me, the church in Ephesus, Paul is going to say over and over and over, this is his. The church is his. Now it's important at this point to stop and, and just say, hey, uh, there's, let's see the distinction here. There's what we think of as a church, Creekside Bible Church, all the churches in Wilsonville, all the churches in the world. There, there are local bodies of Christians who get together and they gather for the purpose of worship on a consistent basis. But there's also the church. The church is Christians everywhere, specifically Christians everywhere who do take time to gather in the presence of God. And this is not just a single church, but it's the church. It's all of the churches collectively. And Paul wants us to understand that the church it's his. It all exists for him. It does not exist so that you can feel good about yourself. It does not exist so that you can have your chocolate donuts. It does not exist so that, that you can grade and judge the music or the sermons. It does not exist solely for the purpose of benefiting you. It actually exists for him because it is in fact his. The church is Jesus' church. We're going to talk about all the ways that the church is his over the coming weeks, but, but it's very important 
I think the most important thing that I'll say in this series is that you must come to terms with the idea that the church is his. Until you do, you're going to be like nine to 17 year old Chad who, who went to church on Sundays thinking, what can I get out of this, whether it be chocolate donuts or good music and never asking, what can I put into this? And even more, what does Jesus want me to do here? I hate to say it, but the reality is for most Christians, they'll never mature past past the experiences that I had here at Dayspring. They may not care about chocolates or donuts or the zip strip, but they'll live their whole church experience just saying, what is it that I get out of it? And if that is your approach to church, then church will never matter to you in the way that it can. And really the church will never be all that it could be if you changed your mind. Now here's here's the weight of it because Paul says, look, the church is his body and, and now I, I've really focused in on his and said, look, the church is his, but why does it matter if we approach church that way? Listen to what the rest of Ephesians 1.22 says. It says the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The Old Testament provides background for this. And in the Old Testament, we had, we see, we read about uh, the Israelite people, the Jews. And the Jews knew that what separated them from the rest of the world was that God's presence dwelled in their midst in a very real and powerful way. At first for the Jewish people, that was by God showing up in a, on a mountain in fire and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And then as the Jewish people traveled before they had land, God would show up in this tent called the tabernacle and he'd come down and he'd meet them. And he'd be there so powerfully that we read about a guy named Moses that when he left, his face would be glowing because of God's presence. And then as the Jewish people entered into their land, the Jewish people built a temple and, and it was a place where God's presence was powerful and real. The fullness of God refers to really God making his presence and power felt among the people. You can see connecting concepts in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, Ephesians 4, 13, Colossians 2, 9, and 10. But in John 14, 9, this is what we read as Jesus answers. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And in 1 John 4, 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Here's the thing that 1 John says, when people look at the church, they should see the love of God. And what Paul says to us in Ephesians 1.22 by saying that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, he's saying that when people look at the church, people should see Jesus. This is a big deal. 
This changes the way that we approach church. If our barometer for what makes church important and great and valuable to this world is that when people look at it, they begin to gain an understanding of what Jesus is like, how Jesus thinks, how Jesus loves. If that's the barometer, if that's the guideline, then how dare we treat church as if it belongs to us? It's his fullness. And we ought to approach church in a way that says, I want everybody to be able to see what Jesus is like. And so when I come to church, it's not about chocolate donuts. It's about being his hands and his feet. Kyle Snodgrass said this, whereas in the Old Testament, he filled the temple. Now he fills Christ and Christ in turn fills his own so that the church partakes of the divine fullness. The church is the fullness of Jesus by showing his power and presence to the world. But the church is also being filled by Jesus, the one who fills everything in every way. John Piper said, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son Jesus through making the church the showcase of the son's perfections. Let me read that to you again because John Piper hits the nail on the head but he says something that sets an expectation so high. He says, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son, Jesus, through making the church the showcase of the son's perfections. Church is beneficial for you. It's important, it's valuable. We'll see that when we talk about the church being his body, when we talk about the church being his family, when we talk about the church really being his building. I mean, there are a ton of benefits for you in church. But the church is not yours. The church is his. The church is Jesus's. The church is God's. And when we see that the church exists in large part to show the world the power and presence of God, to show the world what God is like, then we can't treat the church as ours. We must treat the church as His. When we know that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, then it must change church from being about getting the zip strip named chocolate donuts, grading sermons, making sure that the youth group is exactly what you want it to be, to something so much bigger and so much more important. Here's my hope for this sermon. My hope is that it will be the setup sermon for the rest of this series. And that it will set up this re the rest of this series by causing you to truly believe that the church is not about you. It's about him. Because nothing else that we say, that I say in this series will matter at all if you approach church like I did when I was at this church. You will spend your entire church life asking what you can get out of it 
if you continue to think that the church is yours. And so this morning, all that I want, the decision that I am asking for, is for you to say in your heart and maybe to God through prayer, God, I wanna stop treating church as if it is mine because I see that it is yours. Now look, it's natural to be selfish, it really is. What changed me and how I approached church was that at 17 years old, I realized how terrible of a sinner I am. And how beautiful it was that Jesus would die for my sins. And at 17, I realized in a deeper, better way how ridiculously amazing the grace of Jesus is. That he would, and this is the story we believe, that he would come from heaven to earth, live a sinless life, and then die a brutal death for my sins is absolutely a stunning truth. And when I realized it, I went from wanting the church to pour into me to wanting to pour into church because I loved Jesus so much. If you believe that God's grace for you is ridiculously amazing, and you believe that the church is His, then you will stop being a person who says, what can I get out of this? And you'll start to be a person that says, God, what must I do to make this church all that you want it to be? And so this morning I ask that because of the grace of Jesus and because of what Ephesians 1.22 says, you would make a decision in your heart and maybe through prayer as this next song that's coming up plays to say, Jesus, I now realize that the church is not mine, it's yours. And I hope that you will help me to treat it in a way that reflects that reality. Let me pray. Jesus, it's weird to pray without my church here with me, staring at a camera, but I really do ask God that you would take my words and you would make an impact on the people's lives who now sit in front of this video, God. Um, Lord, you know that church has benefited my life in so many ways. But you also know, Lord, that, that church didn't benefit my life the way that, that it does now until I realized and started to treat it as if it was yours and not mine. And I pray, God, that all these people would know your incredible grace and that they would realize, God, that the church is yours and God, they would make a decision to stop, to stop treating it as theirs. Lord, I think we have an epidemic in our country today where we act like everything is ours. And that has trickled into our congregations. And I pray that in our congregation and the congregation of those people who will listen online, God, the congregations, I pray, God, that that would no longer be the case, and we would realize, Lord, that the church 
is yours. Lord Jesus, let us be people who approach church not selfishly, but with an understanding that it is yours. I ask these things in your name. Amen.